everyone. Welcome to the Wrong Kind of Christian Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Martin, and I wanted to start off our episode today by sharing what's going on over on my blog at wrongkindofchristian.com. I've been thinking on a particular topic for quite a while, but I don't necessarily find myself to be like a super confrontational type of person. And I knew that this particular topic could lead to some of that. So, you know, but you know how it goes, like when God puts something on your heart, He doesn't take it away just because you don't want to talk about it. So it didn't leave me. And, you know, finally, after like much prayer and Bible study and spending some time really like organizing my thoughts on it, I published an article on what it means to be a submissive wife. Yep, I went there. This topic is one of several in the Bible that would be considered, you know, highly controversial. And I don't deny that it's not like always an easy place to be as a submissive wife. But God put it in there, and I can't just ignore it, just like I couldn't ignore him like leading me to uh, to talk about it. I can't take it out, and I can't pretend that it doesn't exist. And you know, just because I don't like it doesn't mean it's not there and needs to be dealt with. So these discussions definitely kind of came out. Like all kinds of people have been commenting on this article, and so the discussions have kind of happened. They they've been. They've been insightful for sure. So if you're interested in gaining a better understanding of what it means, like what it really means to be a submissive wife in a biblical mindset, don't worry. I didn't neglect the man's directive to love his wife. Head on over to wrongkindofchristian.com and check out the article. And I'll make sure to link it here in the show notes for you all. And then please like, let me know what you think about it. Um, if you want to jump in on some of those discussions, you can uh, you can find some of that on Facebook and my Instagram Um, some of it in the um, comments on the actual article itself. So go check it out and, you know, add in your opinion. Okay, so two weeks ago, we finished up Hebrews 3 and the very, very beginning of Hebrews 4, talking about uh, how so many of the Israelites failed to enter God's rest, but that it's still available for us if we remain faithful. Today, we're going to look at the writer's warning to the Hebrew Christians to not miss out on God's rest. And then we're going to like jump into one of my favorite sections of the whole book, talking about how Jesus is our great high priest. So let's dive in. I'm going to start off by reading um, Hebrews chapter four, verses three through five. And, you know, just stick with me on this. I know we'll talk about it at the end. Okay, here we go. Now, we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Okay, yeah. So I don't know about all of you, but this is kind of the point where my eyes start glazing over and I'm just wondering, you know, what exactly is this guy trying to say to me? So let's break it down so that we can find some meaning in this. We can start by seeing that this statement is in direct opposition to the previous verses about all of those who will not enter his rest. 
So it's important to the reader and the Hebrew Christians that the author was originally speaking to, to understand that unbelief is the biggest barrier to entering God's rest. If we don't believe all that God has said and promised to us, then we can't get to heaven, no matter what else we do. We have to rely on the promises that Jesus left with us to get there. So, you know, thinking on this, this verse, one of the hardest conversations, like honestly, possibly the hardest conversation that I've ever had to have in my entire life was with a teenage boy in my youth group um, a couple, just a couple of years ago. He was a foreign exchange student from a country where like believers are definitely in the minority and he is not a believer. This student happened to be living with my pastor's family here in America. And I, I certainly don't think that that was accidental, but all kind of, you know, godly design. So one night in our youth group, we're talking about this, this very topic, this idea of belief and what that means. Many of these students grew up in church and, and they know all the Sunday school answers to all the questions. But I wanted to push these kids towards an authentic faith, a personal faith. So we're talking about how our actions won't get us into heaven. We're talking about a very hypothetical situation in which there's maybe a nice lady living across the street who may be the loveliest person, but doesn't believe that Jesus is our Messiah. And so she won't be in heaven with us. And the teenage boy, not quite yet 16, says, well, Megan, so I'm a nice guy. I treat people well, and I try to do the right thing. You're saying that I won't get to go to heaven? Guys, my heart stopped. My brain kind of started working in overdrive, like trying to find the right word, you know, to like soothe his worry and, and make it all better for him. But in the end, I, I just couldn't. I had no words that I could say to him that would make this easy for him. So in order to truly love him, I had to speak truth to him. And I swear you could have heard a pin drop in that moment. Maybe it was just the ringing in my own ears that drowned out all the other sounds because I could feel in my heart of hearts that this was going to be one of those moments, you know? I had to tell this young man very gently that no, unless he believed and accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior, that he would not be in heaven with us. The room was silent for a moment as we all kind of like, we went through this together, you know? And then, guys, I witnessed one of the, the most amazing things that I think I've ever seen. I watched the rest of this youth group, you know, these teenagers surround this young man with love, like telling him that, you know, it, it's not too late for him. He still has time to come to this belief and that Jesus isn't done with him, you know, like he still has the opportunity to believe. I wish um, I wish I could say that this, this story has a happy you know, awesome ending where I can, I can report to you guys that he became a Christian and, and a believer, but that's just, just not what has happened yet. Uh, we know that this was just one step for him. And I'm continuously praying that even now that he's back home again, that God has put some, some person in his life that will continue to show him who, who God is. And I have no doubt that God put him here in this, you know, when he was here in America, that he put him with this family and in this church for, uh, you know, for, a purpose, that he has a purpose for this student. And so anyway, we keep praying about that. But this whole conversation about um, belief and, and unbelief being a barrier just reminded me of that conversation. And, you know, that's the truth, though. You know, if there's unbelief, you don't get to go to heaven. You don't get to spend eternity with God. 
because that is like the only prerequisite to getting into heaven is to have belief in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Thinking back to the Hebrews, the writer uh, is telling these Hebrew Christians, like warning them really, and in doing so kind of warns us too, to not forget what God has done for us and promised for us and to not fall into this trap of unbelief. Okay, so there's our warning. It seems to me that like this next section of scripture is just as convoluted as the last section, but that's okay. We can break this down. I'm going to read it first just so we have like a basis to work from. But remember, like, don't get bogged down with it. We'll dig in and we'll gain some insight in just a minute. So verses six through nine. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later, he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Well, all right then. Okay, that's our convoluted section there. Let's first, let's go back to that first word because you know it's one of my favorites. Therefore, remember from our previous lessons that we, and discussions that we've had that the word therefore is like the effect in a cause and effect scenario. So we could maybe even change it to like consequently. So verse five tells us that the Israelites who disobeyed did not enter God's rest. Consequently, that means that his rest is still open and available to us. The Israelites were first told of this rest, but due to their disobedience, they were unable to enjoy it. So because of that, it's available to us. All right, let's keep going. Verses 10 and 11. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. I think this is pretty straightforward. In my in my preparation for this lesson, I read another version that translated verse 11 as, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. And I really like that wording, not just because they added in my favorite word, therefore, but I also like that word diligent. Let's be diligent to enter that rest. So what do you think of when you hear that word? When I think of diligence, I think of intentional commitment. Diligence kind of usually implies that it's like, it's not going to be an easy task. In this case, it's like saying that having faith, believing won't always be easy. And, you know, if you've lived this Christian life for long, you know that that's true. It's going to take dedication, predetermination in our minds that we are going to be set on believing. If we aren't, we are more likely to fall into the same disobedience of those Israelites from Joshua's day, never entering the promised land. The next couple of verses are some of the most well-known in the Bible. Verses 12 through 13. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. When I was thinking on this section, like trying to really kind of understand it, I, I looked up a double-edged sword because, you know, I had a basic understanding of what it is, but I wanted to be able to envision it in my head. You know, I was really kind of looking for a picture of it, but 
Um, I I ended up stumbling on this kind of definition here. So Merriam-Webster's definition, a double-edged sword is something that can have both favorable and unfavorable consequences. So in my mind, I translated that as it can have both favorable and unfavorable therefores. So let's put it in perspective of our verses. The word of God has the ability to open up a man with exact precision and can unfailingly, perfectly diagnose the spiritual health of a person. Man, isn't that the truth? Like, I know that when I'm reading the word of God, it has the power to convict me. It has the power to encourage me. Have you guys had that same experience? Like, have you ever listened to someone preach and go, how can they know that about me? Who told them that I needed to hear that today? This has happened so many times in my life. It can't possibly be coincidence. The word of God has the power to affect my world in very real ways. So the word of God is alive and active because it's not just a book. The word of God is one way that God meets us while we're still here on earth. It's his way of communicating with us. If you open yourself up to the nudges of the Holy Spirit, he will lead you to the sections that you need to read and he'll meet your needs with the word. So when you need conviction, he will lead you to the section that will convict you. If you need encouragement, if you need comfort, if you need um, love, if you need just direction and guidance, if you need practical application of how to live a Christian life, the Spirit knows what you need. God knows what you need. And so the Holy Spirit will lead you to the exact places where you need to be. And the Holy Spirit will you know, translate that for you so that you can grasp what God is trying to tell you. So when we're looking at verse 13, a reminder that God sees all, it's a reminder to the original audience, like the Hebrew Christians, that they can't hide their unbelief from him, from God, not the author, from God. So they can't go act like they still believe because God sees all. He knows. I mean, he knows all of us. It's a good reminder for us today, too, that like, you know, one of my favorite little sayings from like back in the day is (laughs) this little, it's kind of a silly quote, but it still speaks to me today. So it just says simply, going to church on Sunday will no more make you a Christian than sleeping in a garage will make you a car. That's it. You can't go through the motions with God because he knows. Let's finish up this chapter by finally, finally moving on to one of my favorite sections of scripture, Jesus as our high priest. So verses 14 through 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The idea of Jesus being our great high priest was mentioned in chapters two and chapter three, but now we kind of get to dig into it a little bit. Not too much though. We have to be patient because the Hebrew Christians just weren't quite ready for this. So so we pick up here in verse 14 with a, therefore, since Jesus, the great high priest, the son of God ascended into heaven. These are three unique statements that can only be made about Jesus. No other high priest was ever called great. No other high priest was ever the literal son of God. 
no other high priest ever ascended into heaven. All of these attributes make him worthy of our faith. But then, then we have this extra added benefit that Jesus is not a high priest that can't sympathize with us. Because of what we've learned in Hebrews 2, we understand that Jesus is fully God, and he added this, this like, the skin of mankind to his deity, right? He became fully both, fully God and fully man. And that that right there is what makes all the difference. We can take comfort in knowing that he lived here on earth with us. He walked in our shoes. He faced the struggles of this life that you and I are facing today. Have you have you ever had a boss or a supervisor of some sort who who told you to go do something that anyone who actually did your job would would know wouldn't work? We don't have to worry about that with Christ. Our Jesus took on our skin and lived with us and ascended to heaven, having resisted like every human temptation that we face, but with compassion for us. That's what makes him a great high priest. He withstood all of the temptation, but still understood the struggle. And now he sits at God's right hand, mediating for us. So chapter five begins by the author reminding the Hebrew Christians of their like their previous high priests. Let's keep reading with verses one through four. Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins, as well as for the sins of the people. And no one takes this honor on himself, but he receives it when when called by God, just as Aaron was. Okay, remember, that section was not about Jesus as our high priest, but it's about every high priest who has come before. So from from the very first um, high priest to ever exist, Aaron, Moses' brother, all the way down through the Levitical tribes, we have you know, humans, men who became the high priests. And that, you know, of course is a little different because they they did have sins. They had weaknesses and temptations and and they had sin to atone for. We'll talk about the difference of that in just a moment. But so the major takeaway here is that the high priest was never chosen by the people and certainly like never campaigned for the title. It wasn't like running for an election, you know? The position always came by way of birthright, like through the Levitical tribe. So God determined who would be the next high priest. And the priests were usually compassionate, you know, towards those that they were ministering to because they themselves had like weaknesses and, and temptations to deal with. And they had to, um, so they they had to offer these sacrifices for their own sins as well, which is, you know, one of the the big three unique attributes that differs with Jesus as the high priest. So he had no sin to atone for. Verses five through six says, in the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, you are my son, today I have become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And we'll talk about Melchizedek and why he's important in a few weeks when we get to chapter seven. Verses seven through eight, during the days of Jesus's life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. Okay, there isn't much greater proof of Jesus's humanity 
than the picture of him sitting in the Garden of Gethsemane praying, like not just praying, but like fervently praying with tears streaming down his face for his upcoming death to be taken from his cup. And of course, like none of us have ever had the weight of the world on our shoulders quite like that. But we've all been there, haven't we? Haven't we all had those moments of intense sorrow, maybe fear, maybe devastation? Haven't we all come to God the Father with tears streaming down our faces, begging him to intercede on our behalf? But Jesus teaches us all the more with his humble declaration of, not my will, but yours be done. Oh, he is definitely a great high priest who can sympathize with mankind. I want to take just a moment to address the phrase that like, he learned obedience from what he suffered. Please, please understand that Jesus needed no lesson in obedience. He did not go from disobedience to obedience like we do. It's more like he learned about the process of obedience. So again, it's like it's an experience of mankind. It was another way for him to sympathize with us. Let's finish strong here with verses 9 and 10. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. That's the promise, guys. That's what we must hold tight to, the promise that we cling to, the reason we must believe. And there's that name again. I promise more information is coming on Melchizedek. But before we can learn about him, the Hebrew Christians, they're they're in for a bit of a tongue lashing from the writer. And so we'll look at that in a couple of weeks. I wanted to let you all know that in uh, probably starting in January, I will be doing these every week instead of every other week because I just feel like having that this extra week in between isn't um, necessarily great for a cohesive study into the book of Hebrews. So I'll be releasing an episode every week on the book of Hebrews just because I'm so loving doing this with you guys and and I hope that you're enjoying it too. But I I think in order for us to like you know to keep it in our brains and to kind of keep it um, fresh for us that maybe a weekly episode would be better than the every other week. So. Next week, though, guys, I'm so excited for the guests that I have coming on next week. Tori Slaughter is the host of Our Given Purpose podcast, and she's going to be joining me here in the studio. And And you guys are just, you're going to love her. We're going to talk a little bit about um, what's going on in Tori's world, like, you know, what has happened this year with, with her podcast and what she's got planned for next year. But then we're also just going to share some stories and, and, you know, have a good chat. So make sure that you've subscribed and followed this show so that, so that you don't miss out on, on that good conversation. And actually, you can hear me on her podcast, um, just previously released on November 30th episode. And um, I was talking about how uh, how I've worked to kind of overcome fear in my life. So um, you can go check that out on Our Given Purpose podcast. And next week, I'll also be featured in a short clip on All God's Women podcast. Sharon, the host of that show, has been um, she's been going through the Women of Christmas book by Liz Curtis Higgs. And she has asked several of us women podcasters to share a connection or an insight into like the women of Christmas. So Mary, Elizabeth, or Anna, and I'll be sharing that here next Tuesday. And then the episode with Tori will air on Wednesday. And I know I say it often because I really do love walking through this book of Hebrews with you all. And and I'm so thankful that you're coming along with me. I'll chat with you all next week and I'll see you then. Bye.